Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. I am so thrilled to have you back with me this week. We are going to continue our journey through uh, Augsburg, and we are going to wrap up the apology articles today. So that is the goal of this episode, is to work through the rest of these articles, and then whenever we're done, we're done, and we'll save uh, next week's topic for that. Uh, We will look at some... uh, of the commentary next week we'll begin we won't go through all of all 28 articles because we would be probably spending hours upon hours upon hours but we're going to look at a couple high hitting hard hitting pieces and we want to ensure that we articulate all of the uh, spectrum of what we're trying to articulate on this particular series so uh, today is going to look at articles 20 and on, and we will wrap, uh, with that. We might look at the small called articles too here in the next few episodes. Uh, we will probably spend an episode each on the small catechism and the large catechism. Uh, and then we'll probably wrap out the book of Concord by looking at the formula of Concord. So there's a lot that we're working through. This is just essentially the beginning of this long series. Um, because after this, we will um, then start to highlight and articulate the uh, confessions of the Lutherans. Like, how do we take and actually put this into action? How do we take what is being taught in the Augsburg Confession and more or less the Book of Concord? And how do we put that into the greater scope of Lutheran theology? And so we're going to look at Lutheran theology uh, much more in depth after we work through the book of Concord. Uh, and then we will compare that and contrast that with the reformed faith. So we have a lot on our plate. Uh, I don't intend this ep- this series to go <laughs> or to be short. It is probably going to be very, very long, uh, which is why I think on Friday's episode, I kind of said, you know, we're, it's no longer really a bonus episode because we're pretty consistent with these. And uh, I want to make sure we keep on track, though. This structure is obviously much different than my Friday episodes where I have more of an opening preamble and ranting and, uh, you know, house cleaning and things like that that I'm doing. But 
this episode, again, is I want to be quick to the point. I want to hit what we want to get and I want to get you on your way. And uh, whether they're 25 minutes or 35 minutes, I try to keep it within that realm just to respect your time. But I do want to give you a bit of a precursor. I will mention this on Friday's show. I just shared it on Instagram. I just wrapped up recording uh, the first episode in the sacraments for my patrons. They will have that episode. It's available to them right now. And they will have that. And this is actually March 1st. So they will have that March 1st. And it will be available until we release it to the public, which we are not going to do those until we conclude the formula of Concord. So that will be, you know, kind of the pre the essentially the kickoff to Lutheran theology. So we'll have a multiple part uh, little series on the sacraments. Uh, so today we started with part one, mostly looking at the differences between sacraments and ordinances. And uh, that is made available to them at this moment. So if you'd like to join us and get, you know, up to speed and get those early releases and those exclusive episodes, then join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash undying light. Off of that, there's also additional bonus content that will never air. Uh, for instance, I'm working through um, back and forth on Hosea and uh, articulating that book just as much as I do like uh, with the um, previous Friday episodes where we go verse by verse through scripture and explain what's going on. Uh, the patrons have selected Hosea as a Bible study, so I'm working actively through it, and they get uh, those exclusive. Those will not be released to the public, and if I do, it will be a very long time. Uh, so that is the opening preamble of the show. Let's get into what we got. We have good works. This is Article 20. Again, we look at the apology here, and as I mentioned last week, there are a lot of uh, statements given in, in each of these articles. Many of them are 10 plus statements long. Uh, the article on good works is 15 statements long, and some of them get up into the hundreds of statements long. So let's read through just a few of these and, and provide some context to why there is an apology here on good works. So article 20, they expressively, uh, expressly state their rejection and condemnation of our statement that men do not merit the forgiveness of sins by good works. This article will explicitly reject uh, this article. They, this is those who wrote the confutation and those had essentially rejected the Augsburg confession or, uh, or gave criticism to it. They explicitly reject and condemn this article. What can we say about an issue that is so clear here? The framers of the confutation have drawn their own true spirit. For what is more certain in the church than that of the forgiveness of sins that is freely given for Christ's sake, not by our works, but Christ, who is the propitiation for sin. As Peter says in Acts chapter 10, 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We would rather agree with this church of the prophets than those damnable writers of the confutation who so impundently blaspheming Christ. Strong words. Uh, they, again, uh, this was, this was a bit of the backbone, uh, that the, the authors of the Augsburg had, but sadly they tried to, uh, Melanchthon kind of softens language a little bit later in his life. And in some of the revisions that are provided, he kind of, uh, opens the door a little bit, just a little bit for synergism. And, uh, and that's why, you know, for Lutherans, we, 
we want to see how did Luther teach and how was his you know message conveyed, and then are we watching his writings change via his predecessors, those who came after him? Do we see the softening of language? Do we see the changing of pace? Do we see uh, you know a little bit of a refocus on this or that? Um, and true confessional Lutherans will always turn to Luther's works before they turn to any other Lutheran theologian. That's first and foremost. Second, above Luther, we look at scripture. Just as this statement of good works states, uh, we would re- we would rather agree with the church and the prophets, which is what Peter's pointing to in Acts chapter 10, than those of the writers of the confutation. So as a Lutheran, our first and foremost authority is scripture. The Augsburg Confession, essentially the Book of Concord, is a means to articulate those views of scripture. And that's how we addressed the openings of the Augsburg Confession. It was not, it's not a systematic explanation of things, but it is a statement and a proclamation of faith. This is what we believe. And then they defend it here in the, in the uh, apology. Here's statement three. There have been indeed theologians uh, who hold that after the forgiveness of sins, men are righteous before God, not through faith, but their own, uh, but through their own works. Nevertheless, they did not mean to say that they receive the forgiveness of sins itself on account of our works and not freely on account of Christ. Therefore, the blasphemy of attributing the honor of Christ to our works is intolerable. These theologians have lost all sense of shame if they dare to smuggle such a notion into the church. We are sure that this most excellent imperial majesty and many of the princes would have refused to let this statement of confutation stand if their attention had been called to it. Here we quote endless passages from scripture and the fathers, but we have already said enough on the subject. There is no need for proofs to anyone who knows that Christ has given to us the propitiation of our sins. For Isaiah says in 53.6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our opponents, on the other hand, teach that God has laid our iniquities in our works and not on Christ. We are not inclined to mention here the type of works they require. And so, again, the writers go on and uh, assert how wrong they are. And they will quote various scriptures, Romans 3, verse 24, Romans 4, 16, 2 Peter 1, 10. Um, I just mentioned Isaiah, Romans 331. Uh, so there's a handful of scriptures that they will articulate in, uh, in this. But again, this is going back to, uh, the original, uh, framing on good works from article 20. I can grab faith and good works. And so, uh, there was a number of statements. We didn't read through all of them. 39 statements in total from the original Augsburg Confession. And we they conclude it with this statement, and I think it just nails the 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 point home perfectly. Statement thirty nine: As he himself says in John fifteen five, apart from me, you can do nothing. Boom! There it is. Mic drop. They move on. They do not care, and they will again articulate plenty of scripture here: Hebrews eleven one, Romans five one, Ephesians two eight and nine. Uh, and then again, John uh, fifteen five here. So there's a lot that is uh, going on in that, but uh, and and I think you know this teaching is really kind of sadly cascaded into um, 
into the church today that, you know, you're, you're not, you know, they'll, they'll say you're not saved by your works, but how can you be a Christian if you don't demonstrate fruit? And they will argue this position. And and I will, I can attest to being a victim of this, that I had felt so conflicted in my spirit that I must be doing all of these things in order uh, to retain my righteousness or to really more or less retain my salvation. And, and so I must, so when I first started walking with Christ in my mid twenties, I was a part of the youth ministry at the church. I did a security ministry at the church. I did Bible study on Wednesday mornings, men's Bible study. And then I had a Thursday night men's Bible study. And then I had a small group Bible study with my wife on Sunday nights. So Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, uh, sometimes Saturdays, depending on events and Sundays, I was invested in the church. And I did that for over a couple of years and you get burnt out because you're, you're, you're utilizing this position in your mind that these things are earning me something. And in reality, if I had viewed them in the light that I view works now, I would have been able to say, you know what? I am free to do these things. And if I miss a week, it's not a bad deal. If I uh, decide that I am no longer able to do such a thing, then that is totally fine. Um, and it really helps me now to understand, especially as a pastor, where do my good works uh, are needed? Where are they required? And that is in the community, in my congregation, in my family. And that is where I invest my time and my love and my passion. So the, the element of good works, uh, I sometimes feel is very highly pressed upon the church today, especially in the reform circles. And again, I say this because I was a part of it that uh, I would, you know, challenge people. Um, if they, if they, if back when I was a Calvinist, they would ask me, um, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know I'm of the elect? And I said, well, you know, what, what is, you know, what are you doing? Are you actively reading your Bible? Are you doing these things? Are you, you know, helping your neighbor or, you know, and I would give them a whole long list of things that, you know, they can look to, but we don't find comfort, assurance, and salvation in any of those things. We find salvation in Christ alone. And so now when somebody asks me about assurance, I say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the grave? Yes, they do. Okay, now we can move forward and expand upon that. If your confession is Romans 10.9, amongst many other passages, if you can confess that, then you are saved. And you are saved and freed from sin, death, and the devil. Therefore, you can choose to read your Bible or not to. You can choose to pray or not to pray. You can choose to sin. You can choose to not sin. You can choose to do good works and you can choose not to do good works. But sinning, doing those things, not doing those things, not sinning, they will not earn you anything in addition to the initial salvation that Christ has already granted for you. And that's, again, another whole long tangent of things. So good works is an interesting bucket to unpack. We could probably do a whole series on this one topic. But let's continue on because we have a handful of uh, confessions and time is running out as always. So we have the next article, Article 21, the Invocation of the Saints. Uh, again, this is another, um, what do I remember? It's like 30, 44 statements long. So we will not dig into this completely. We'll just look at a couple of them. 
they absolutely condemn Article 21 because we do not require the invocation of the saints. Nowhere else do they expand so much sophistry. And before we really get into anything further, I do want to clarify a couple quick things uh, around what invocation of the saints is. This is essentially the praying to or calling upon saints for assistance. Um, Roman Catholics were heavy in praying to Mary, praying to other saints, offering their prayers to them, yada, yada, yada. And they would even do so to living saints. So this is um, where this, uh, this is coming from. And this is a stance essentially against the use of that. Uh, so they continue, but they, but all they managed to prove is that the saints should be honored and that the living saints should pray for others. They present this as though on this account, the invocation of the departed saints were also necessary. Uh, so then we go a little bit further here. Let's look at statement three, nor do the rest of the ancient church fathers uh, before Gregory mention invocation, the theory of invocation together with the, with the theories of our opponents now hold about the application of uh, merits surely has no support among the ancient fathers. So um, that is the uh, statement. I mean, the Lutherans are much against this, um, this view. We do not hold that one should be praying to the saints. It's not necessary uh, because, as Scripture tells us, we have one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's essentially fruitless for us to um, to pray to the saints and they leave it at that. So, uh, moving on to article 22, the Lord's supper under both kinds. Uh, we will not dig into this particular apology, um, because this will be used when we go through that particular series at the end of our journey to Augsburg. And here we will break for a quick commercial. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And we're back and now on with the show. So we'll uh, kind of skip this and go on to the marriage of the priests. This is article 23. Despite the notary of the defiled celibacy, our opponents not only use the wicked and false pretext of divine authority for their audacious defense of pontifical law, but they even urge the emperor and the princes not to let the Roman Empire be disgraced or shamed by the marriage priests. This is exactly what they say. Where in any history can one read of greater brazenness than that of our opponents? We shall review their arguments in a moment. First, let the intelligent reader consider uh, the impudence of these good-for-nothings who say that marriage disgraces and shames the empire, as if the church was adorned by the public disgrace and unnatural lust of the Holy Fathers, who look like uh, Cyrus and live like uh, Bacchanides. Most of these things these men do not utter, uh, do with utter abandon, cannot even be mentioned without blushing. So they um, <laughs> they they go on to articulate their uh, their allowance of pastoral marriage, and uh, that was a big thing with the monks and the. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church was the prevention of uh, marriage for the priest. And so the Lutherans saw that as just being kind of unfruitful and, un- and, and unneeded. So they they essentially are abolishing that. And then they go on and have, uh, you know, it's not real long. It's, well, it's 71 statements. I thought it was only 70. My apologies. So 71 statements against um the marriage or prevention of marriage of priests. So uh, again, I urge you as you listen to this, this is a quick guide or quick walk through the articulation of what these are meaning. Uh, This is not an exhaustive episode. You should uh, go to the book of Concord online. It's free. You can look at the apologies there, read the articles uh, or you could buy one. I mean, if you want Uh, Concordius has them, I get them on Amazon too, I guess. So, but get it for free if you want. I mean, if you're not going to invest anything beyond just more of an understanding of a particular article or something, uh, I urge you to go and read some of these and you'll see the arguments used uh, more thoroughly. So move on to Article 24, the mass. Uh, this is one that's broken down into a handful of items. So uh, we are going to probably spend a little bit of time walking through them pretty quick. But again, not exhaustive because uh, under the sacrifice, it's nature and types. Um, there's 15 statements in the first on the mass. There's 65 statements on the sacrifice. There's a couple on uh, patristic teaching on sacrifice, um, sacrifice and the uses of the sacrament. Uh, there's another 10 statements. The term mass uh, has another 10 statements in mass for the dead rounds out uh, with another 10. So there's 99 total statements under the Mass uh, as the uh, apologists are working through their articulation of this. 
so to begin with, we must repeat the prefatory statement that we do not abolish the Mass, but religiously keep and defend it. Our church's Mass is celebrated every Sunday and on, all, and on other festivals. When the sacrament is offered to those who wish for it, uh, that they have been examined and absolved. We keep traditional liturgical forms, such as the use, uh, such as the order of lessons, prayers, and vestments. All right, so I have to be very, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of segue here. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not going to exhaustively go through all of these because there's 99 statements. So we're just going to look at just a few of them. Lutherans do not abolish the mass. And we'll look at what the term mass means, but we do not abolish divine service. We, we withhold and retain the order of lessons, prayers, vestments, and the liturgical form. So in my church, we open with a brief order confession, opening song, uh, prayer of the day, readings of God's words, sermon, a creed proclamation, and then we'll do prayers of the church, Lord's prayer, benediction, and dismissal. And if we're going to do a communion, then that'll get nestled in after uh, the creed, and that will get uh, the same thing with baptism. Baptism will actually be done after the uh, sermon and before the creed. Uh, and oftentimes if with baptism, we as a church recite the apostles creed during baptism. So it won't have to be recited again during the regular portion service. All right. So uh, they, you know, go on for a handful of statements. There's 15 statements that start to enunciate that. But uh, again, I encourage you to go read them all online. Uh, the sacrifice, its nature and types. Again, this is where we get into um, the, the Catholic Church trying to re-sacrifice Christ um, during the Lord's Supper. And uh, I, you know, we, I talked a little bit about it briefly in my baptism episode that's made available for uh, my patrons. But let's jump down to the term Mass. Our opponents also refer to us as philophagy. Uh, from the names of the Mass, they take arguments which do not deserve a lengthy discussion. It does not follow from the fact that the Mass is also called a sacrifice which grants grace, ex opera operato, or that it merits the forgiveness of sins for those to whom it was transferred. The Greeks call the Mass liturgy, and this, they say, means sacrifice. Why do they not mention the Old term communion, which shows that formerly the Mass was a communion of many. But let us talk about the term liturgy. It does not really mean a sacrifice, but a public service. Thus, it squares with our position that a minister who consecrates uh, shows forth the body and blood of our Lord to the people, just as a minister who preaches shows forth the gospel to the people. As Paul says in 1st Corinthians 4.1, this is how we should regard us as ministers of Christ and dispensers of the sacraments of God, that is, of the word in the sacraments, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making this appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Thus, the term liturgy squares well with ministry. It is an old word, ordinarily used in public law. To the Greeks, it meant public duties, like the taxes collected for equipping a fleet. So then they go on again. Uh, there's another 12 or so statements on uh, um, the term mass. And then there's another 10 here on uh, the mass of the dead. 
we're not going to get into that. It's kind of a, it might merit its own episode um, at some point because it's kind of interesting. So again, I encourage you to go read it, but for time's sake, uh, we will not dig into that. So now we move on to uh, monistic vowels and this vowels. And uh, this is article 27. And then we have ecclesiastical powers. Article 28 wraps out our confession. Um, let's see here. Um, basically, if we start with statement three again, we're going to not read all of these statements because there's 70 statements here. Um, uh, let's see here. Let's go to four. History will show uh, how much credence has been given to the statement, but there are other signs no less uh, no less sure than oracles, which threaten a change in the monistic uh, regime. Everyone knows how the how much hypocrisy, ambition, and greed there are in the monasteries. How ignorant and cruel these uh, illustrate illust, illiterate men are, and how vain they are in their sermons and thinking up new ways of making money. There are other vices too, which we would rather not talk about. Though once upon a time they they were schools of Christian instruction, they have uh, degenerated as from the Golden Age to an Iron Age, or as a Platonic cube degenerates into a bad uh, harmonies, which Plato says caused destruction. Some of the richest monasteries just feed a lazy crowd that gorges itself on the public alms of the church. And so, again, they continue on to argue uh, against the monasteries and its foolishness, essentially, uh, of their uh, teachings. Uh, We're going to wrap out here with ecclesiastical power. Uh, And again, this is a plethora of statements. There's 27 in total. So we are going to uh, uh, read into a couple of these here. Here our opponents rant about the privileges in the ecclesiastical estate, and they conclude with the summary. Everything is false that the present article states about the immunity of churches and priests. This is sheer slander, for this article has been arguing about something different. Besides, we would often testify that we do not criticize political ordinances, nor the gifts and privileges of uh, princes, but if our opponents would only listen to the complaints of churches in pious hearts, our opponents valiantly defend their own position and wealth. Meanwhile, they neglect the state of the church, and they do not see it to see it that there is a proper preaching or administration of sacraments in the churches. They admit all kinds of people into the priesthood quite indiscriminately. Uh, they impose intolerable burdens upon them as though they take pleasure in the destruction of their fellow man. They demand greater strictness in the obser- observation of their traditions than of the gospel. And again, uh, this article is an apology essentially to um, articulate its stance against the abuse of power, but to assert that the uh, you know priest has the, you can say power, uh, to convey God's word and to administer the sacraments and to absolve one of their sins. Um, so we, we have to understand its placement because in the Roman Catholic church, again, there was a lot of um, the, essentially a lot of the, the abuses that would go on into um, the churches and the power that was often abused 
um, from that. And we have uh, the power of the bishops again. It's one that uh, the Lutheran Church was really heavy on. And, and, and this is kind of one thing that it was conveyed to me through uh, seminary is the bishops, according to Luther, uh, had no power over a local congregation. And they had no authority over the local congregation. In fact, it was the congregation that had authority over the congregation. And so Luther's premise was to assert that the Pope is a heretic, the Antichrist, and to usurp the power of the bishops and essentially remove it. And so uh, from that, it gives power back to the church to call who they desire to call as a priest. And then that priest essentially only has power in and of that to preach God's word, offer the sacraments, and administer the uh, confession and absolution. That in itself is uh, how Luther viewed the uh, office of bishop, amongst many other things. Um, again, it, it's a long debated topic, and we can probably spend a considerable amount of time looking at it, but we're not going to. Um, as much as I would love to uh, spend the time digging into each of these statements, again, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of statements uh, throughout this, uh, throughout the apology al uh, alone. And that doesn't include, you know, like for instance, if we go back to the original Augsburg Confession, there's um, uh, 62 statements on just the power of bishops. So, a lot of content uh, that is poured out in this book. It is not one that is uh, for the faint of heart to read. It is deep and it will challenge your views, I hope, on a lot of things. And hopefully, like I said at the head of the show, is I encourage you to read uh, through the Book of Concord, at least read through the Augsburg Confession and the Apology. And, and I would also venture to say if you are true to scripture i grab luther's small catechism and read through that too and everything else you know can kind of fall into place but i highly encourage you uh, and if you're lutheran then you should have these things in your library uh, even if your library consists of one bible and a couple books those couple books should be a, a book of concord and luther's small and uh, small catechism uh, I, I myself have the Book of Concord on my desk. I have it digitally, and I have Luther's Small Catechism. And I, I encourage you as Lutherans, if that's your uh, confession, to spend the time and really study what it is that you are confessing. And that's, I think, kind of the premise that I want to take the show is really to make it one of how do we confess as Lutherans? Uh, what is the confession of Lutherans? And how do we articulate that to the world where you have crazy denominations like the ELCA running rampant. Anywho, that's going to wrap up today's show. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back Friday. Uh, as this episode is airing, we will have wrapped up Job uh, last week. And uh, this Friday, we will dig into the overview of Proverbs. And so we'll spend uh, two weeks on Proverbs and then probably two, maybe three weeks in the Psalms. We won't do too much, but we'll look at it a little bit. And then we will move on to uh, some other books that I have uh, geared up in this uh, little or uh, little order that we are going to tackle. So that is that, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, if you are uh, really enjoying it, come join us on Patreon and you can uh, get access to these shows quickly because uh, this is March 1st and this episode won't air until 
Uh, let me actually get my calendar up here on the screen. If my computer is going to cooperate with me. I don't know why my it's the one thing with Windows 11 that I, I don't I don't care for um, is the the new like uh, they take the microphone the speaker and the Wi-Fi and they make that into like one dialogue box and then they make the calendar and the clock like really hard to navigate anyways this episode is not going to air until the 8th which is next Tuesday so uh, they'll get that episode today in just a few short moments after I'm done exporting it come join us on Patreon if you desire but otherwise, we'll see you next Friday. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.